Last week on Celebration Sunday, I told you that if there were a theme for this year, we don't always do themes for the year, but if there were a theme, the theme might be the year of the church. We're going to start a new church campus in Farmington Hills. We're going to study the early church from the book of Acts. And starting tomorrow, we're going to welcome the church. 900 guests representing 600 churches will be here all next week for the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Now, a lot of people assume that Ward Church is a non-denominational church because our people come from such a wide variety of church backgrounds and because we don't emphasize denominational differences. But we are, in fact, affiliated with a small denomination called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, or the EPC. And I want to tell you a little bit about this association and about the guests who will grace this campus this week. The EPC started in 1981, and Ward Church and our founding pastor, Dr. Bartlett Hess, played a key role. Fourteen churches gathered together at Ward Church in Livonia in the summer of 1981 for the very first General Assembly of the EPC. Today there are more than 600 churches that are part of this association. And every year, once a year, the leaders of all 600 churches get together along with their mission partners in what is called the General Assembly. And that's what's going to happen here next week. The title of today's sermon is, Why I Am Presbyterian. That's the sermon, Why I Am Presbyterian. I've never given a sermon like this at any point, ever time, any, any time before, but I figure if you're ever going to give a sermon like this one, this is the day, on the eve of welcoming Presbyterian pastors and missionaries from around the world. And some of you are thinking right now, of all the days I had to bring a friend to church, why did I bring a friend um, today. You should have given some disclaimer, some warning of some kind. I know this is very unusual, but I want to talk a little bit about it. The, the, the reason you do not hear the word Presbyterian bantered about much at Ward Church is because it is not the top flag that we fly. This is a Jesus church. This is a Christian church, and that is far more important. It is far more important that you and I understand our connection with Jesus than our connection with a denomination, and that is why at Ward Church we mostly focus on Jesus. I tell newcomers, you're never going to pull into the driveway at Ward Church and see a huge banner on the front lawn that says Presbyterian and Proud. And the, and the reason you're never going to see a banner like that is because no one is certain how to spell Presbyterian. Um, the reason you're not going to see a banner like that is because it's not the top flag that we fly. We are a Jesus church. However, we have this happy affiliation with one of the Presbyterian denominations. It's been a happy home for me for 22 years in two different congregations. It's been a happy home for Ward Church for 42 years. Uh, I am okay, by the way, if you do not consider yourselves to be a Presbyterian. I find at Ward Church, most people don't think about denominations at all. I'm quite okay with that. Or many people kind of retain the label they had from childhood. So if, if you grew up in a Methodist church, you likely still think of yourselves as Methodist or as Lutheran or as Roman Catholic, and I'm quite okay with that. I am not concerned about what label denominationally you put on yourself uh, my interest is only seeing your identity grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
But I do want to talk about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church today, the EPC, and I'm going to use four handles, four distinctives of our denomination, that the EPC is Presbyterian in government, Reformed in doctrine, Evangelical in spirit, and Missional in purpose. That's the outline. Presbyterian in government, Reformed in doctrine, Evangelical in spirit, and missional in purpose. And I have cleverly and creatively lifted these four phrases from the EPC website, epc.org. These are not original with me. These are phrases commonly used to talk about the distinctives of the EPC, and I want to take each one in turn. The EPC is Presbyterian in government. People often ask me, what do Presbyterians believe? That's a fair question, but that word Presbyterian uh, does not refer to our beliefs, but to our organization, how we're structured. The word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbytos, which means elder. So the word Presbyterian literally means ruled by elders. And whenever you see that word Presbyterian on a sign somewhere, uh, and I'm told there are about 17 different denominations that have that word Presbyterian in their title, but whenever you see the word Presbyterian, you know that the top authority in that church is not the pastor. It's not any one person It is a plurality of godly men and women sitting in collaborative discernment of the Holy Spirit. The Presbyterian bias is to not go with solo Lone Ranger leaders, but to trust groups of people to uh, make decisions together. You do see in the Bible, of course, strong leaders. Moses walks up on the mountain. He comes down with those tablets, thus saith the Lord. But you also have lots of examples in the Bible of this collaborative spirit. The book of Acts, we see this phrase where the leaders say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There's a collaborative leadership. And so we tend to um, have shared decision-making. The role of the pastor, according to the passage that we read from Ephesians chapter 4, the role of the pastor is to equip the people for works of service. Pastors equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. If I'm doing my job right, and this is true of all the ward staff, our job is to equip you for your ministries. Our job is to equip you for your callings. And so what's going to happen here next week, the pastors, the equippers of the churches are all going to be gathered, and this is why it matters so much. Presbyterians are connectional. 600 churches in the country that get together once a year, but those 600 churches are divided into regions called presbyteries. And our church is part of the Midwest Presbytery, that's the 56 churches located in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. And the Presbytery meets three times a year, and the national level meets once a year because we acknowledge that we are connected. We are not in this alone. We are the body of Christ as a whole together. And when one part of the body hurts, when one church in our family hurts, the whole church hurts. So I am a fan, uh, even in this day, of denominations. Denominations get a lot of bad rap right now. I know independent churches in America are all the rave, and that fits the independent spirit of Americans. But in the Bible, I don't see a lot of independence. I see interdependence 
in the New Testament. I depend on you, you depend on me, we depend on each other, we're all connected together. And I like being in a denomination where there's authority above me and around me, and there are some systems and procedures in place. I like that there is a standardized process for all of our pastors in the country regarding education and a rigorous examination and approval process, and it's standardized across the country. We are Presbyterian in government. Secondly, we are Reformed in doctrine. Now, when I say we're Reformed, what I mean in part is that we stand in the history and tradition of the 16th century Protestant Reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and those other guys. Now, the Reformers weren't trying to start new denominations. They were trying to reform, to change, to fix some of the problems that were in the medieval church. Martin Luther felt strongly that Christians should read the Bible on their own, but the church of his day discouraged Bible reading. The idea that ruled the day in Martin Luther's time was that Bible interpretation is complicated and ought to be left to the trained professionals. And, uh, and the Bible was only available in Latin, and even in Martin Luther's day, nobody, no real people spoke or read Latin. But it was in reading the Bible for himself that Martin Luther discovered, rediscovered, that we are saved by grace. Not by doing, not by giving, not by striving, but it's a gift, it's grace alone. He discovered that in the scriptures. And so the Protestant Reformation developed differently in different parts of Europe, but there came uh, a summary of the five rallying cries of the denomination centered around the Latin word uh, sola. Sola is the Latin word for alone. And these five alone statements, they, they, they said, uh, our authority is Scripture alone. Scripture alone is our top authority. And by that they meant not a pope, not a council, not a document, not any other person. The top authority is Scripture alone. We are saved by grace alone, not by striving, not by doing, not by serving, but by grace as a gift, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all of this is for God's glory alone. And those five statements still describe what we believe today. And then the Reformed tradition has traditionally emphasized the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. God calls the shots. God answers to no one. And you might say, well, don't, don't all churches teach that God is sovereign? I mean, the Bible says God is sovereign. Yes, all churches teach that. But the Reformed tradition emphasizes it. Cornelius Planktica, a Reformed theologian out of Grand Rapids, says a lot of the differences you'll see in the United States and around the world between different families and denominations and traditions is not a difference of belief. It's a difference of emphasis or accent. You will find the beliefs are similar, but different traditions tend to punctuate different parts of it. And the Reformed tradition punctuates, delights in, rejoices in, rests in the knowledge that God is in control and that God initiates relationships with humanity, and God even pursues his children. Now, there is a human role, of course. It takes two to tango, but far more important than what you do is what God has done. 
And then in the EPC, we have this motto that we use for our beliefs. We say, in essential beliefs, unity. In non-essential beliefs, liberty or freedom. And in all our beliefs, love. In essential beliefs, in those core essential uh, core doctrines, those are not open for debate or discussion or negotiation. Those are locked in. In lesser beliefs, in non-essential beliefs, we are free to disagree. You can have your view and I can have mine, but in all of our beliefs, we're going to love each other. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. And man, that motto has gotten our church and our denomination through a lot of sticking points over the years. We are Presbyterian in our government, reformed in our doctrine. Everybody still with me? Okay, next we are evangelical in spirit. That word evangelical has become problematic in our day. <clears throat> I hear it used as a political term, and you see, as I do, newscasters talking about how evangelicals vote and what evangelicals believe, and sometimes I don't know what they're, what they're talking about. I meet people who think that evangelical means angry, judgmental. The word evangelical also comes from a Greek word, comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news, also translated gospel. And when the founders of our association chose that word evangelical for our title, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, what they wanted to say is that we are a good news church. We're a gospel-centered church. We are a church that believes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And... We believe the good news of Jesus ought to be shared. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. The word evangelism means to share good news. Doesn't mean you've got to become like Billy Graham. Doesn't mean you've got to become uh, street preachers. But it means you live and, and, and speak in such a way that it points people to Jesus. The constitution of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church says that evangelism is the top duty the first duty of the church, the top priority of the church. Uh, every church's first mission is to introduce people to Jesus. And the Constitution gives to elders the responsibility to keep the first priority the first priority. So when we say we are evangelical in spirit, we mean by that that we point people to Jesus who is preeminent among all else. We are Presbyterian in our government reformed in our doctrine, evangelical in our spirit, and missional, lastly, missional in our purpose. God has a mission in this world to redeem and restore all of creation for his own glory, to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus said his mission was, to seek and save the lost, and we, the church, get to join God in God's mission. For far too long, the church was thought of as a place as a place where certain religious things happen. But that's being changed, being rethought to a new understanding of the church as a body of people sent on a mission. The church is not some kind of store that deals in religious goods and services. It is rather a community, a gathered people brought together by a common calling as a sent people. Not just a sending church, a sending church, that's good. We send missionaries, we send workers. Not just a sending church, but a sent church. 
We are sent people. We have a mission. We have a mission field. Someone once said, the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of the non-member. We exist for God's mission in the world. And the EPC understands that the purpose of the church is missional. So let's review. The EPC is Presbyterian in government, reformed in doctrine, evangelical in spirit, and missional in purpose. Don't you want to be a part of a group like that? That's our home. Now, let me talk about who will be here this week and why it matters. We will have 900 guests in our building this week, all week. Military chaplains, hospital chaplains, church planters, missionaries, pastors, and ruling elders from around the world. And a lot of our guests will be hurting a lot of them are hurting right now. Pastors, you may or may not know, have always received a fair amount of criticism. It goes with the call. But some of the pastors who will be here this week in the last year and a half, uh, their criticism has doubled or quadrupled. They are coming from congregations that have been torn apart with fights about masks and vaccines and politics and race. And if the national averages hold, half of the pastors who will be in this room two days from now are thinking about quitting. And our job is to welcome, affirm, thank, encourage, build up, and pray for those frontline workers and send them back to their posts, recharged and renewed, so that the whole church can be built up. That's what we're going to do. You ready to share that? That's our charge. There are three main activities that are going to happen here. I want to tell you about them so you can kind of pray uh, with knowledge. Three main activities. Uh, one is worship. Uh, there will be five worship services this week in this room. Uh, two on Tuesday, uh, two on Wednesday, two on Thursday, one on Friday. I'm going to preach on Friday night. Terrence is going to preach on Thursday morning. And worshiping with pastors is a really unique uh, experience. Pastors as a whole really love to worship. The worship's going to be great. And pastors are going to love to be able to attend a worship service that they didn't have to plan. And hear sermons that they don't have to preach. And be served by volunteers they didn't have to recruit. Yeah, we're praying that they'll just be able to worship. Remember, pastors and church leaders, that you are also children of God. So there'll be worship services, then there'll be business meetings. Uh, the assembly at its core is a business meeting, and we'll be voting on bylaw changes and hearing reports from different committees. Those are going to all happen in this room this week. And then there'll be leadership development. Church leaders are coming here to learn and grow in their call through a variety of keynote speakers and breakout sessions. Those will happen in this room and in basically every other room in this whole building. Some learning going on. I want to tell you about a couple things on the agenda, again, so you can pray. Dr. Ed Stetzer from Wheaton College and the Billy Graham Center will be here to talk with church leaders about engaging our culture with the gospel. That's this week, Dr. Ed Stetzer. Andrew Brunson will be here to speak about persecution globally and the persecution that's coming to the United States. Andrew Brunson is one of our missionaries who was held for two years in a Turkish prison after being falsely accused of terrorism in 2016. He knows something about this, and he's going to be one of the speakers here this week. 
looking through the agenda, I see there's an event for women, the women uh, that'll be here at the assembly. It's a test talk on generations, and they'll be learning about generations from our own Pam Dodge, Ashley Gray, and Jenny Neighbor are going to be talking to our women leaders about, uh, someone can clap for that, yeah. About generations. And then I'm looking through the list of about 50 workshops and network lunches that are offered. And this title just jumped out at me. There's a workshop uh, entitled Renewable Energy for the Pastor's Wife. <laughs> I don't even want to know what they're going to talk about in that, that seminar. So thank you for being the kind of church that welcomes and prays and serves. Um, it's going to be a significant week. A lot of you have already done this, but if you haven't, there are these prayer guides uh, at all the desks around the building, and it guides you through a prayer walk, and I would love for uh, a couple hundred of you to do this this afternoon, anytime between the end of this service and 5 p.m. when the building closes. Maybe you haven't done a prayer walk before. It's kind of complicated because you have to pray and walk simultaneously, and, and it's a guide. So there's a map in here, and you walk through this room and pray over the events and the people that'll be here, and then you walk over to the office area, and there's some guides for what to pray that's going to happen over there, and then in Knox Hall and around the hallways, and you use this as a guide, and you pray as you walk around the building and around seats so that this whole building will be saturated in prayer and ready for what God's going to do here next week. Now we're going to have a time of prayer right now, right here from our seats, Uh, but before we do, I want to read for you again uh, the passage that was read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4. I think this sets the tone of what's going to happen on this campus in this building next week, Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... They're all going to be here this week. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves as we see and blown here and there by every wind of teaching that's out there and the cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. No, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, and this week it's going to be the global body of Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're going to start this prayer time by asking volunteers who will be here this week to stand to your feet. A lot of you, them are wearing blue shirts today. Would you stand up, uh, volunteers, if you're going to serve any point this week on campus? Can we, can we appreciate the folks that are serving If you would just uh, remain standing while we all pray for you right now. God, for the men and women who will be here to serve this next week, we pray for endurance and patience and discernment. Give them eyes to see what's not visible. Give them ears to hear what's not being spoken. Draw them to the people who need a special word of encouragement, who need to be built up, who need to be told that their work matters. We pray for such a spirit of hospitality in this place and servanthood that that we see a, a, a taste of what your church is and can be. I pray, uh, Father, that 
in serving and in hospitality, those who are standing, those who will serve you will also know your pleasure, that they will have a special sense of our servant leader, Jesus, that in serving we will meet him in greater ways. And so for these volunteers, uh, we commission them now as a church to serve in the name of this church and far more importantly, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Again, thank you for serving. It's going to be a great week. Let's continue in prayer. If you don't mind, please bow your heads and I'll kind of guide us in a time of prayer. Oh God, we pray uh, for the events that will happen in this very room in our sanctuary, for the worship services that will happen here. May your name be lifted up and may it be a unique congregation of church leaders from around the world who can rest in you, restore their identity in you, lose themselves in you, no worries about what they've got to say or do or perform, about how people are going to respond, that they would renew um, their sense of being your child. And then let me pause here and ask everybody in the room to pray uh, now in silence for the person who will occupy your seat next week. Someone's going to be sitting where you sit right now. Might be a pastor, might be a chaplain, might be a missionary. And I, I know you don't know who that person is or what their needs are, but just take a moment and pray in silence for the person who will sit where you sit right now that God would touch them in a very special and customized way. Then, God, we pray for all the events that will happen in Knox Hall, for the meals that will be shared, for the conversations that will happen. We pray for every classroom, every gathering space where the learning will happen. We pray for the military chaplains who will uh, even come a day early, spend most of their time in our chapel, uh, that, that this unique call to people who serve their country um, would be magnified. We pray for the missionaries who will gather much of their meetings in our conference center that those who serve you globally outside of their own cultural context, many of them in harm's way, uh, would know your joy and your courage and your strength. We pray for the fellowship that will happen in these hallways, that these church leaders would have an opportunity to be the church for each other, and that as a result of what happens here over the next five days, that your church would be strengthened that ligaments would be strengthened and come together, that the whole church would be built up. We pray for your purpose and for your glory. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You all sat through a message on why I'm Presbyterian, and you are to be commended. Thanks for... Uh, it's going to be a great week. It's not too late. You can still sign up and jump in with things. We still uh, would love to have you part of this experience. Next week, we'll tell you a little bit about how it went. Would you stand to your feet now and receive today's benediction? Until we meet again, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you and be with all whom you love and remember this day and all days. Amen. Amen. God bless you.